Great Expectations for Global Perspectives. Today I'm talking to Philip. He is a serial entrepreneur and has a background in programming and entrepreneurship. He founded companies in Bulgaria and Austria and now resides in London. In this episode, we are delving into tax complexities, establishing a company in general, and the differences in the startup culture between London and Vienna. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Philip. Nice to have you here. Do you quickly? Hi, Barbara. Yeah, awesome that you're on the podcast. Can you quickly introduce yourself and who you are and why you're here today? Thank you for inviting me, Barbara. So I'm Philip Omenich, and I'm the co-founder of Stress Coach, which is a mental health company. Uh, we sold that company recently last year to an American employee assistance program. And since then, I've joined SQL in London. And at SQL, we enable professional athletes to invest in startups. Um, so I kind of almost joined the VC world, but not quite because I'm still CTO and we're building a product. Mm -hmm. So you are Austrian and now living in London. Um, that's yeah. correct, right? When did you move? So I moved in April this year, but I was already visiting over the last half year, six months um, from time to time. So I started work already before remote and then I kind of, it was a gradual move. I would say I, the visa was the blocker and that mm -hmm. only made us move um, yeah, in April then in the end. Mm -hmm. So the move was purely a business decision um, because of the new job opportunity or are you also in the founding team? Um, well, it was, I think, a combination of multiple circumstances and also a bit of serendipity. Um, so we were discussing with my wife already for a long time if we would want to move abroad somewhere just to experience different cultures and live in another place. And actually we wanted to, to be remote, right? Um, and work remotely. So I was looking for remote jobs and my wife was planning to do the same. And then I came to London, I got to offer this opportunity to, to work here First, also remote, but then there was a component that made me move here. So yeah, it was not really exactly planned like that. Um, but yeah, I'm quite happy I did it. Mm -hmm. And did you, as a CTO, are you um, a founder of the company or did you join the company as an employee? Yeah, so I'm the I'm, uh, first person who joined Alex. Uh, in doing SQL really full-time and I'm, I'm here from the first hour. I would uh, call myself a co-founder probably. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I, I think I'm a co-founder, yes. Mm -hmm. So um, you were already, you're a serial entrepreneur then, I would assume. Um, you've already founded a business in Austria um, and now... Yes, and in, in Bulgaria as well, actually. Ah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, do you want to go into um, why you founded a business in Austria, Bulgaria and uh, London? Do you want to draw a bit of a comparison between the three countries? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. So it, 
I would say it was always circumstantial and never planned really. Um, so the first company was in Bulgaria because um, three of the founders were Bulgarians and we also, they had very good contacts there and knew how to run a company cheaply from there. And we were all remote. So we decided that, yeah, it made a lot of sense because the majority of people were Bulgarian actually, right? Um, you have to have the company someplace. And we didn't want to found multiple companies, right? Like one in Bulgaria, one in Austria. So it was, I would say, the easy decision, also because it's very cheap to start a company in Bulgaria. You only have to pay, I think, 50 euros as capital. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's 100 euros now, you know? So it's, it's very cheap just to get started and very easy. Mm -hmm. They um, also have cheaper taxes for maintaining it, right? Yes, yes, it's, it's quite cheap to maintain. And then also the capital gains tax are less than in Austria. I mean, that wasn't really the reason why we started there. We just really wanted to get going quickly. And in Austria, that's not so easy, I would say, to start a company quickly. It has gotten, I think, easier over the last years. But, you know, I like we found a stress coach now five years ago. I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it got easier since then. I would hope mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. And was it then a lot different to Austria apart from the time? Uh, consuming part of um, founding or the process of founding? Well, so I was never really involved in founding the companies in, in either of those company, uh, countries. I always tried to stay out of it as much as I could. Um, and I'm quite thankful for my, my co-founders who took care of that headache, right? Because it is a lot of administrative work and um, I think headache as well. It's definitely easier in terms of what you need to get started in Bulgaria. Um, we didn't even need to go there in person. Mm -hmm. In Austria, comparably, right, we had to, to go to the notary and be there in person, um, read the documents, sign the documents, actually come up with the documents. In Bulgaria, it, it seemed more, much more like, a, yeah, if you just found it, then, then you can still do everything. It's much, much simpler. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now that you're in the UK, you're officially left the Schengen area. <laughs> is it different again or are you still trying to be hands offish with the admin stuff yeah i mean so when i joined the company already existed mm -hmm. so i didn't really have a lot to do with founding the company we do have however a more interesting setup we have a u.s entity and then the uk entity is uh, a daughter of the u.s entity mm -hmm. so there's already two companies right now um which makes things also interesting, I would say, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we need to have both entities because we're active in the US and in the UK with um, employees or okay. will be soon. All right. That's because um, you have employees in both countries. Um, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, wow. Um, lots of different countries, lots of different <laughs> admin stuff. So how was it then for you? I mean, when you were in Bul like when you were with the company in Bulgaria, you didn't have to change much um, since you were working remotely. But now you you moved to London. What has what has changed for you um, considering like you're an entrepreneur? Mean, yeah. Yeah. So the, there's I think two main areas which are the the biggest to consider. One is of course the visa status, right? Yeah. So you have to make sure that you have the right to work here and um, yeah, just that you're legally in the country. 
Mm-hmm. And then the the other big thing is about taxes, right? Because since taxes are usually tied to the country you live in, um, this can become quite complicated. And I, it took me quite some time to figure out how this works. And yeah, like the, the typical disclaimer, consult your own <laughs> tax advisor here. Mm-hmm. But since I'm not planning to stay here uh, permanently, but rather only temporarily, maybe for, for one or two years is, is the current plan. Um, it's considered that I, I'm like temporary left the country uh, from Austria, right? And so I still will be paying taxes in the UK and my UK income. But for example, in my investments, I will pay my taxes, I keep paying taxes in the, in the, in the, in Austria. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh, unfold because these are both two very interesting and very broad topics. And I'm very aware you're not a tax advisor, um, but we're just talking about your experience here. So um, what was it like with the visa type that you're on now? I mean, it's a completely new process since Brexit happened, right? Um, are you on an mm-hmm. entrepreneurship visa? Are you normal employment visa? How long did so it take? I'm on a- I'm on a global talent visa, mm-hmm. is what it's called. And actually, so the, the UK has multiple visas that um, would have been possible for me, which was kind of interesting because in the I think in Austria, it's only really one visa that you would consider if, if you had an employee come to your company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the UK has kind of many more routes to the visa, which I found quite interesting. And you can see when you look at the visa types that they try to, to cater also for entrepreneurship or startups, it's they're, let's say, aware of it, you know, in, in Austria, it doesn't feel that way. Um, so that was like a, a quite nice surprise, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the visa I'm on is, is kind of the visa that gives you the most possibilities because you can move to the UK without having a job mm-hmm. and you can found a company, you can start working, you can basically do everything a normal citizen or like almost everything a normal citizen can do. Whereas to other visa types, they are tied to your employer um, Mm -hmm. or for much shorter time. And how long is the visa, the permit you're on right now? Uh, For five years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also actually since I got accepted, my wife got accepted as well on a partnership visa which was uh, also quite good, of course, (laughs) (laughs) because it would be difficult to move without my wife. Um, Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it was. And do you remember what you had to specifically do to prove um, your employment or what you're wanting to do? I remember very well. So the Global Talent Visa basically has two routes. It's the emerging talent, Promise, promising talent or like already talent. <laughs> I don't How do you the prove this? Wording. This sounds very vague. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how you prove it is by either having had an exit before, having raised substantial amounts of money. Um, there's multiple routes again. Uh, you can be an open source contributor for a large open source project. Uh, so if you, you write also... for Wikipedia or the likes, is that like? Yeah, I think they won't really want to see this? like GitHub projects with lots of stars mm. and so on, but could be anything, you know, as long as you can argue, it should have like a material impact and it should be recognized uh, nationally or internationally. 
so for me, I just uh, tried. I was in a TV show, so I put that in there. Read some news articles about um, our company right when we sold it. We put that in there. And then the, the Brits are very keen on reference letters. Okay. And I kind of underestimated it. I actually applied twice. The first time I got rejected, and then the second time it worked. And those those reference letters have to be really written in a, in a certain way. And I think that was maybe the most cultural difference or unexpected thing I encountered. Mm-hmm. Because... I don't know, the reference letters are not really big in, in Austria, at least where I'm from. Maybe you have a letter from your previous employer, but for me, that was actually never the case. But I've just heard that it can happen, right? But nobody really um, takes those reference letters as uh, like for granted or for like put so much value in them, I would say. Mm-hmm. But in, in England, they, they really like it seemed that they would weigh it work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain way to write them as well. So okay. that was quite interesting. <laughs> how did you find out how to write them or who you asked to write them? I mean, you were your own employer before. I mean, it's not like you can write yourself a letter of well, recommendation. I mean, we, we, we asked my investors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also asked uh, my my boss here in, in the UK to give me a reference because we already um, had known each other from before, right? Um, and... But yeah, I felt really the difference for when you ask someone from Austria to write the reference letters is more like in a annoyance to them or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or not really like the, it's it's more like a it's more casual. How can they do it? Yeah, it's it's much more casual. And then if you have someone from here write your reference letter, it's much more serious. You know, they they know what it means. They know how to do it. Um, it's probably also like it's almost like a secret language, right? What you write in there. <laughs> okay. If you try, I mean, if you try and, and write in a letter that someone tried really hard, you know, that sounds pretty good, but it could also mean like, well, they tried, but they didn't succeed. And there's like all this, oh, okay. you know, double edged meanings, I would say. Okay. So you really have to be an experienced uh, reference letter writer to... Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, it. but yeah, the people you, who you ask for your reference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you don't. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, was interesting. interesting. Definitely, if you maybe this advice that someone from the UK um, read your reference letters which you have and ask them for maybe feedback, um, because it's it's not so easy. But mm-hmm. it was not so easy for sure for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long did it take overall? You said you had a couple of hurdles in there. I mean, so I applied the first time in October. Mm-hmm. Then I heard back six or eight weeks after that. Um, and then I applied again in December. And yeah, I heard right after New Year's, I heard back. So it must have been one or two weeks only. Mm-hmm. And I got the response, which was quite quick. So I thought they, I think when they accept you, it's quick. And when they reject you, it's much longer because they have to give a reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got my visa right then and there. I, I mean, I had to still pay for it, right? So there's two stages. You first apply for endorsement. Um, then you get the endorsement. And then with the endorsement, you can apply and get the visa. But it's just a formality then. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the getting the visa was another week, maybe. Um, But for my wife, it took eight weeks. <laughs> okay. So that Tough. it's also, hmm? 
That yeah, it's it's tough, not yeah. really tough if you would know how long it would take in advance, right? But because you don't know, because you could get the answer in one week or in eight weeks, um, it makes it tough to plan things ahead. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we Austrians, we love to plan. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves to plan, especially when you're moving <laughs> to new countries. I think that uh, is a given. Um, yeah. yeah, I have the feeling the Brits don't like to plan. I mean, they don't plan so much. I think we Austrians are much, much more eager to plan stuff mm. and organize stuff. Yeah. What other cultural differences have you noticed um, between the Brits and uh, Austria, if you will, maybe in business or in how to conduct? Yeah, work? like I, I think things are much more ad hoc and that like has its advantages and disadvantages, right? So you could ask and ask someone for a meeting tomorrow and they may, might have time. Um, but then on the other hand, if you plan, want to plan ahead two or three weeks, they might cancel meetings also, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's a bit more, bit different to Austrian culture. Just, but yeah, I mean, cultures are different, right? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the world. <laughs> <laughs> True that. So you have moved from um, Austria to the UK earlier this year. Um, let's go into the process of moving in general, because you said this is only in your long-term strategy for a couple of years and you're going to move back to Austria, I'm assuming, right? I mean, yeah, that's, it's like I don't want to plan ahead in that term so far ahead, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I will stay here forever, but um, let's see what the future brings. Mm-hmm. Ah, you're adapting to the British culture and not planning. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay, no, but like uh, in general, I mean, there are a few systems that you mentioned before, like taxes, maybe pension, moving companies, etc. These are all administrative things because you uh, always kind of associated with one country. How did you set that up? Did you completely deregister everything in Austria or um, move your pension over to the UK, which I'm assuming you didn't do, considering you only no, you for two so years? You, you cannot move over your pension or you can have multiple pensions. So I, I can have a pun pension in Austria and I can have a separate pension in the UK. And depending on how much I pay and, and like each country has different rules, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to meet the criteria for receiving pension in one country and the other. Um, you can get both potentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so. so so let's just go into start with the moving process in general. How did you do it in Austria? Did you deregister before you moved? Um, like, no. So I, I changed my place of live uh, living, and I registered with my um, just with my parents mm-hmm. um, because I still have a place in Austria because I'm still there also from time to time, right? So I still need to have a place where I'm registered. Um, and also concerning my my taxes, I mean, I'm still paying taxes for this year because I had income this year in Austria. So actually, it's it's per tax year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have ongoing business in Austria as well, just from from person a personal level. Um, so I'll, I'll keep my business in in Austria. Um, and then in the UK, I'm employed with my employer, so I don't I'm not self-employed here. Mm-hmm. I'm just a normal employee. But in Austria, I'm self-employed, right? And so I'll also paying, um, yeah, I'm paying 
taxes in the Austria for Austrian income, and then I'm paying taxes in the UK for the UK income. And do you have to declare that you're earning also in the UK and in Austria? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything with the double tax agreement that you know of or that you want to share how that works? So, so uh, yeah, I only know the German word here, but mm. the income you have in the UK counts towards your Provisionsvorbehalt in Austria. Okay. Uh, good luck translating that. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know. Um, it's basically, I can explain it. So when you, there's yeah. certain tax levels, right, depending on your income. And I think in Austria, it's from 90,000, you have to pay 50% tax or something. Um, and so basically income in UK plus the income in Austria determines the taxation level you are at. Um, but the income from the UK doesn't count. You don't have to tax the income, you know, but basically you tax the Austrian income on the same tax level as if you would count together the UK and the Austrian income. Before tax or after tax? Uh, no, before tax, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you get double taxed for your UK um, earnings? No, you don't get double taxed. You tax the UK earnings in the UK and the Austrian earnings in, the, in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, okay. UK has a different system. As long as you don't bring any income to the UK, you don't have to tax it. Interesting. Okay, so all if all your earnings stay in an Austrian account, you are you don't have to tax it in the UK. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, like, um, please don't trust me on that here. Okay. Um, definitely not be advised. But I've spoken to to tax advisors, and there's some interesting and funny laws. So. As long as you don't wire literally the money from your Austrian account to your UK account, mm -hmm. you're fine. As soon as you bring the money like physically or to your bank account in the UK, you have to, to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. um, or you would also have to pay tax if your father was born in the UK, which I think is a quite nice law. <laughs> <laughs> what about the mother? Yeah, no, I mean, okay. <laughs> I guess it's a rather aged law, you know. <laughs> yeah, it sounds historic. It does. But very interesting. Okay. Um, very interesting. And was there anything else when you considered moving that you had to do, considering you are also an investor? Have you now? Um, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. the, this uh, moving away tax. It's called Wegzugsbesteuerung in Austria. But again, that's only relevant when you move away permanently and not temporarily. But I, yeah, I mean, the definition of what's temporary is, is quite vague. Um, so mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to talk about it and give you any advice okay. um, because it's, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's, it's not exactly clear even, even now to me, you know. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand is if you have the intent of moving back um, or if you don't know if you're staying yet, um, then it's considered temporary. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But considering I think you have your business in Austria and uh, you still have an address in Austria, you can argue it is really well. But exactly, yeah. It's but again, yeah, again, laws are a bit vague sometimes. <laughs> I understand that. I mean, it it kind of I thought about it a long time. It, it makes sense the moving away tax, right? Because if you have like people who want to evade tax and they just pretend to move to another country, 
there has to be some certain mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really comes down to where you spend your time then, and it can be it, it can become extremely complicated, mm-hmm. right? If you travel a lot. Um, Mm-hmm. It's not really clear where you live then, I would say. Yeah, it's only going to become more difficult with remote jobs everywhere. True, um, true, yeah. But maybe you can um, answer this also, like um, when you say Wegzugsbesteuerung, right? Um, how how high is this? Is this like... So it's it's not... It actually concerns only your assets, okay. um, so your capital gains tax. And then the, the main thing is um, that your so when you hold assets, right? For example, stocks or shares in companies, um, if you hold them through a broker account, they are taxed every year like dividends. Um, but then you also have the increase in the value of those stocks, and they are called um, unrealized gains, right? Because you didn't sell them, you didn't realize them yet. And so this moving away tax is all about the unrealized gains. So what I would mean is if I hold shares, let's say in an Austrian company, right? And then the value of those shares increased over the last 10 years, because I didn't sell them, bought them 10 years ago and I didn't sell them yet. And then I move away. I would have to tax them um, and pay this tax to the Austrian government. Mm-hmm. Even on my unrealized gains, which is a bit, um, can be annoying, especially when uh, you're dealing with startups, right? Because the you cannot realize those gains usually, yeah. um, at least not quickly. Um, and the startup value can still go to zero sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can become quite, yeah, it means quite a big tax burden. It's called like that. Mm-hmm. So you, who do you consult with this when you have questions? Who do you go to um, considering you're now in the beautiful void between two countries and you have to find experts who can help you with both sides? Yeah, so you really want to talk to an Austrian tax advisor, um, if you're from Austria, right? But also to a tax advisor from the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I did. And that's also where I have like all this what I told you just now from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just ask for like intros to tax advisors. I mean, they, yeah, it's just a question of finding the right one for you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any criteria you went with or was there? I mean, it's important that you know what you want to ask them first, right? As long as you have concrete questions and you know yourself, like, so I, I tried to read laws a bit and familiar, familiarize myself at least a little bit with the material, right? Um, and then I started on the Austrian side. And then basically I also asked those my Austrian tax advisor what I should ask the UK tax advisor, right? Clever. Um, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a good option. And then, but yeah, at the end of the day, you have to, to figure it out yourself. It's, it's your responsibility, right? Nobody's uh, gonna, gonna do this for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. I mean, there's still social insurance as well, all right? which is an interesting topic. So right now I pay social insurance in both countries, mm-hmm. which is definitely not fun. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, I don't really see good other way. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the advice there? Because I mean, you can't really opt out from social security in Austria because it's tied to your income and your taxes, right? Yeah, I mean, so 
again, because I had income this year in Austria, like I have to pay it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but what you can do in Austria if you're self-employed is you can put your your license as being self-employed. Uh, you can it uh, you can kind of rest it, mm -hmm. and then you can um, yeah choose other paths. You can uh, tell the government basically that you you moved away and that you you're not working right in Austria and you're not self-employed. And I think. But yeah, that, that's where my, you, you probably should call the um, social insurance in Austria, you know, and ask this question, how, how this works exactly. I mean, I haven't gotten to this point yet, because it's only relevant for me ne from next year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'll, I'll deal with it then, you know. Mm -hmm. And as an employee in the UK, you're um, immediately registered with the uh, healthcare scheme. Yeah, so in the UK, UK. actually... Everybody is insured, and when you apply for the visa, you also have to pay a healthcare surcharge. It's okay. called, and so that's kind of all taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so you always can go to the hospital in the UK, and and you will be treated. Um, but I'm also additionally insured through my employer uh, with private insurance. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a lot of insurance you got there. Awesome. Yeah, I mean it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well. Better safe than sorry. Um, and just in general, because we've talked about taxes, social security now, moving in general, building a business in a different country, having a visa permit, etc. I mean, how long did this process overall take and cost you maybe as well? Do you have a ballpark figure what it's like to get a global um, global talent visa moving from like different currencies over and into London, a fairly expensive city. Do you have like a ballpark figure of how much it costs in general to start a new life in London? I mean, <laughs> it depends on where you want to live because the rent is definitely the most expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when it starts with the visa, the visa is also not cheap. And there are different options depending on which visa you get and also course what you agree with with your employer right mm -hmm. um usually i don't know if it's usual but i think it's fair if the employer pays for the visa right if he wants you to move mm -hmm. um yeah you can look up the cost on the on the uk government website um for each visa and and see how much each visa costs did you have to um pay twice considering you had to apply apply twice yeah there's the application fee Okay. And then I had to pay that twice. Yes. And mm -hmm. the application fee was, I think, 500 pounds. Okay. I had to, to pay that twice. Um, which is, of course, also not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, many, many also use um, agencies to do the application. I did it by myself. And I mean, now at least I have all the knowledge, you know, and I can tell you about it. Yeah. I <laughs> hopefully made mistakes nobody else has to make anymore. Mm -hmm. Um yeah but the yeah, number one tip was of... the reference letters right so yeah exactly good to exactly. remember mm -hmm. but in terms of of moving i mean yeah the, the most expensive is the flat and also the most probably nerve-wracking because uh so what we did is in the end then we we came for a week and stayed in a hotel and then we're looking already before agreeing on flats and looking at really i think 12 flats in this one week And then we just put in an offer and it 
thankfully got accepted for two weeks later. So we kind of flew back home, packed our stuff, and then after two weeks came already to the apartment which we which we had um, rented. Mm-hmm. Was there any um, difficulty? Because I know in Austria you have to sometimes show already that you have a rent contract to get approved for the visa? No, um, there was nothing like that in, in the UK. Um, I think they also ask you what you're planning, but I just said I plan to live in London, you know, and yeah, I think that was, that was quite easy. It's actually also quite easy to find a flat, um, because most leases are quite a much shorter term than in Austria. So you can find leases for six to 12 months also in, in London, mm-hmm. um, which makes things a bit easier, especially in the beginning and you don't have to pay commission for the makler. Mm-hmm. So you only have to, to pay down a deposit of one month's rent. Um, and it feels like the market is like flats go quickly. So if you can afford it, you will find a flat quickly. But then again, it depends on what you want. You know, if you want to, it gets really expensive to flats. <laughs> I have to say that. Yeah, housing um, is expensive. And if you, yeah, you, you can negotiate also there, but I don't know. It's I think for the first flat, right? I would probably just take a flat for six months, like like we did, mm-hmm. and then you can still decide and change it later on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of the advantage here. You can take a flat for six months, mm-hmm. and they're all furnished or usually furnished. Okay, yeah, that makes things a lot easier. Only like moving yeah. with suitcases if you have a place to store stuff in Austria. Yeah, true. Definitely interesting. So. Now, what would you say long-term plan um, after the UK would be finding more remote options or traveling the world and building more complex structures with your insurances and taxes? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a proponent of simplicity, so definitely not more complicated piece. Um, I mean, I, I don't really plan ahead um, more than six months. So I think we'll stay here for the next six months. Um, and then reevaluate, you know, um, depending how we like it. And the summer is very nice in London, I have to say. And let's see about the winter. <laughs> um, but yeah, thankfully mm-hmm. I work in IT and I maybe can also work a bit remote. Mm-hmm. Um, and now uh, yeah, considering you've seen the startup scene in Austria, I don't know about Bulgaria, but now the UK, do you have a little bit of a comparison there as well? When yeah, it comes to community. Uh, very good. So because London is London, right, it attracts a lot of young, ambitious people. Um, and not only from the UK, but from all over the world. And and you can really feel that. So there's, there's a lot of activity going on. And it seems also that, I mean, everybody I meet is working in a startup or founding a startup. I mean, probably that's also because people who hang out in the places I hang out if they're kind of similar or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it feels that people really, there's, there's much more activity going on, and especially on the funding side. Um, I think I was at an event two weeks ago, um, and in this room, the, just at this one event, you know, it, a random event in London, um, in this room, I think there were more like Series A plus or Series B funds than we have in whole Austria, you know, like by, like I, no, but like by multiple, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe there were 
30 or 50 funds, Series A, Series B there. And in Austria, I think we have maybe like a handful of Series A funds maybe, and then less than five Series B plus funds. I mean, except for the insurances and banks maybe, but mm -hmm. yeah, like, so that, that really puts things into comparison, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot a more money. More active scene yeah. going on in, in funding, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's also why what attracts many startups. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain area you think London is particularly strong in? Um, I mean, yeah, finance for sure. Um, it's still like a big trading hotspot, and I think that that's the main thing that that comes to mind. Like, mm -hmm. I think they might be quite strong in other aspects as well, but probably finance is the, is the biggest. Mm -hmm. Okay. And for anyone starting out on their entrepreneurial journey in London or trying to move abroad from Austria, what advice would you give them? Yeah, like uh, hit me up. Um, just if you have questions, write me. <laughs> Happy to answer. I met actually with a, a founder from Austria who's moving to the UK as well, um, who sold his startup before. Uh, so quite quite a similar journey. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, just just maybe be aware that the rents are much more expensive and you will need more money to kind of sustain your lifestyle, I would say. Um, that's the main thing. And definitely come and visit before you move, mm -hmm. right? Um, go to a couple of events, just see if you, you like the vibe. And yeah, mm -hmm. just try. And find the right people to reference you. <laughs> yeah, true. Awesome, cool. Any more words of inspiration or hopes for the future? Well, I can maybe leave a cliffhanger. I can tell you next time about how I uh, worked in a Russian startup. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a tough cliffhanger. Um, yeah, maybe on another episode, if you want to dive into a Russian startup scene, um, probably changed a lot, uh, since you oh, yeah. worked there. Um, but yeah, let's leave it at London and, um, yeah. Any hopes for the future, any inspirational words you have for ongoing entrepreneurs? I mean, I, I hope that Vienna becomes maybe more competitive in terms of funding. Because I feel like that attracts a lot of startups and that would be my hope. And there's also my hope of maybe when I return, bringing that home a bit. You ah, know? as the investor, uh, I see. Well, bringing, bringing a bit the spirit, um, but also like bringing the connections, you know. Um, I'm a big believer in, in networks between maybe London and Vienna. And if I can do my part, then that would be really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, uh, as a good picture for the future. Um, and <laughs> thanks for, for sharing your story. Um, and for yeah, and looking forward to have you back in Austria, but also all the best in London and, uh, looking forward to hear where it goes next. I don't know. I mean, you leave it very open. <laughs> well, we have another office in Miami, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so many episodes in the future. I see. Very good. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Barbara.